Fantastic. Well, we're going to carry on our exploration of prayer, and I'd love you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, The page number will be on the screen, um, page 1203. I hope you're feeling fairly awake this morning, ready to go and do a bit of a deep dive into... um, Well, I'm going to try and give you the the overview of about seven chapters of some of the most complicated stuff in the whole of the Bible. Not really. But we think of it like that when we read it. It comes across sometimes as a language we don't understand about stuff we've never experienced. But actually, right at the heart of it is this one simple idea. That because of Jesus, because of his life and death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, we can come to prayer with confidence, with confidence. We come to prayer with confidence. Uh, The book of Hebrews, uh, written to a group of Christians fairly on in uh, the history of the Christian church, Um, quite possibly a written down sermon or collection of sermons, and uh, at this point he is just, the, the writer is about to launch into, as I say, what is quite a few chapters, about seven chapters worth of unpacking this idea of what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. Now, bear with that language for a little bit. It's not language that we're necessarily familiar with, but actually right at the heart of it is an incredibly powerful set of picture language. I'm just going to read for you uh, from uh, verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14 of Hebrews, page 1203. Uh, Let's listen to this together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know whether you've ever arrived somewhere not being sure whether you'll be allowed in. Uh, it may well have happened in your teenage years. Uh, I'm sure none of us ever tried to get in anywhere that we were officially too young for, but if you can imagine that circumstance and you arrive thinking, I hope they don't ask me, I hope they just look at my friend who definitely looks over 18 and you're waiting to go in. Uh, on Friday night, um, uh, we took my son, uh, who's just turned 18, literally on Wednesday, uh, we took him to Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club uh, in London, and the time of night that we were going, you had to be over 18 to get in. And it was one of those delicious moments for Stephen, because they said to him, are you 18? And he said, yes. Which was rather nice, because he was. Um, and uh, we were able to go in, and it was a really interesting moment for him. He's stepping over the threshold of a place that actually he wasn't allowed into before. Uh, we were at the rugby um, yesterday afternoon. There's another part of his birthday celebration, enjoying the England-Japan match. And afterwards, 
once we'd worked our way down from the upper reaches of the upper stand, came down and we walked past uh, the two team coaches uh, that were waiting there for the teams to come out. And if you're a rugby fan and a passionate rugby fan, you know, getting close to these international rugby stars is a big deal. And so you could just see people trying to look around the coach and, and hoping the players would... And of course, they weren't going to come out for ages, but they were still hoping to look around. And then occasionally, somebody would walk up, show the badge, and they're in. That lovely sense of just walking in somewhere that you weren't previously allowed. Being allowed in, walking in really confidently. If you've ever been given you know, a, a swipe badge or a, you know, a card for an office or wherever it is, and you can just go and I'm in. And you try and look confident the first time you do it, so nobody else can see it's the very first time. The picture that the writer of Hebrews wants to paint for us is simply this, that when it comes to God and this gift of prayer, fundamentally relationship with God, at a gut sense, every person is built with, is born with, maybe is a better way of putting it, a sense of exclusion. In other words, we have a gut sense of being on the outside looking in. That God is somehow a long, long way off and I don't have the credentials to get in there. That I'm excluded, that I'm on the outside. And what religion is fundamentally about is trying to get in, isn't it? Religion generally says, well, okay, here's how you earn your badge. Here's how you earn your credentials to make it into the building, to make it into the throne room of God, what the writer of Hebrews calls the throne room of grace. Here's how you get in. And religion tends to say, well, you've got to do this, 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 and the other. Or you've got to be this sort of person. Or you've got to live to this sort of age and do these sorts of things with your life. In other words, it's down to you. Some of religion, of course, goes, well, you know, it's all a bit of luck, or you never really know, but if you yell loud enough, and you pray loud enough, or you get enough of you doing it all together, or you get the right words, well, somehow you'll be heard, and God may, from the inner sanctum, answer your prayers from a long distance off, and even if you can't get in, every now and again, you'll get a little penny from heaven, and God will answer. Those are the two basic approaches of religion. Either I can't get in, but if I do the right things, I'll get the credentials and I'll make it. Or, do you know what? I'm never going to get in, but if I pray loud enough and well enough and confidently enough, maybe he'll hear me. Whereas what the writer to the Hebrews says is this, you've got it all wrong. It's not that you have to find a way of getting in to see God. It's that God has made a way to come and to see you. In the person of Jesus, God has stepped into history. If you like, God has come out of that exclusive club or that throne room that you're not allowed into. He's stepped out of it to be with you. And then in Jesus has taken you by the hand and ushered you in. What an astonishing thing. Imagine standing outside an exclusive club or the, uh, the Oval Office in the, 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 the White House or outside the, the, um, the place that you've always wanted to be and somebody comes out and says, uh, okay, yeah, he's with me. I'm going to use his credentials on the way in. Not down to me, but down to who's come out to bring me in. Now, the picture language that the writer of Hebrews uses is not the picture language of Ronnie Scott's 
or the, the England rugby team, he used something that was contemporary for his readers. And the language he uses is one that is full of religious significance and richness. It was the language of the high priest. What his readers were familiar with, that you and I, I guess, aren't familiar with, was a set of picture language that was incredibly just just bang on for what he wanted to say because God had given it in order for it to be picture language, in order for it to be a visual aid. It was the image of the temple. And the Jewish temple was built to remind you that if you relied on your own credentials, you could never get in. It had a holy of holies, a small room with a curtain outside it, in which were some of the most precious things of the Jewish people, and outside of which was everyone. But once a year, one person, the high priest, after many sacrifices both, that were both expensive and literally bloody, one person was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the sins, the exclusion of a whole people. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, good news. We don't have to go on making those sacrifices anymore. We know that uh, sacrificing a pig or a goat or a, a, a sheep or a duck or whatever you could bring to God, sacrificing anything isn't going to make it, is it? None of them is going to make up for our exclusion from God. That sense that I know I'm not good enough, even by my own standards, let alone God's. It says good news. No more sacrifices are required because the perfect sacrifice has been made. The great high priest has come, the one who walks into the Holy of Holies but doesn't do so alone. He's the one who comes and takes you by the hand. Or to use the illustration of Cain this morning, he's the one who scoops us up in his arms and carries us in to the throne room of grace. And if we're not sure, the language that we heard in this little passage says to us we can be confident of that because firstly, Jesus is able fully to represent us. He's not some sort of Superman figure. He's not some sort of alien. He's not God pretending to be human. He is one who is fully human, fully aware of how tough it is to be us. One who represents us and deals beautifully and gently with us. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters relating to God. That's what's happened up to now, he says. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. But now, he says, Jesus... Oh, sorry, I'll come back to that. He says he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. So he's talking about the great, the, the high priests that have come so far. He says, because they're like you and me, he's able to make sacrifices on our behalf. But don't worry, he says, this great high priest is able to represent you too. Go back to verse 14. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Verse 15 we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way. This Jesus, whom we worship, has been tempted in every way. He's known what it is to be tired. He's known what it is to be hungry. He's known what it is to be betrayed, to be abandoned, to be let down, to be disappointed. He's known what it is to be on the outside of groups and looking in, he's known what it is simply to be the end of his tether. So he knows what it is to be you. And he knows what it is to be me. 
And that means that when I pray, I can pray with confidence because this Jesus who's taking me into the throne room of grace, this Jesus is saying, come with me, isn't going to turn around and say, really? Go away. I couldn't be more disappointed in you. God doesn't say that. Or you stink. Get out. Wash yourself up. Clean yourself up. Then we'll let you in. What he says is, I know. Come with me. The confidence of coming with one who fully knows us, fully represents us. God made flesh. Not God pretending, not God imagining. God made flesh. That's the first bit of confidence there. The second bit of confidence we have is because although Jesus was fully human, he was also fully, perfectly God. He is the one who is able to make the perfect offering for sin. Imagine if you go to a friend for a loan. Maybe they're a friend that you know for a fact that they're pretty wealthy. They're a really good friend. And you say, look, is there any chance that you could loan me this money? I'll pay you back. I desperately need some money. And you see the color drain out of their face or their face fall. And they say to you, I would love to. But what you don't know is that I'm in debt to you. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying about these high priests over the years. They can't pay your debt or my debt because they are in debt too. Chapter 5, verse 3, talks about having to make sacrifice for their own sins, whereas Jesus doesn't have to make sacrifice for his own sins. Jesus is the one who isn't in debt to the Father. Jesus is the one who is perfect. And so when he takes you by the hand and ushers you into the throne room of grace, you can go confidently because not only does he understand your weakness and and how hard we find it to pray, he also says to you, you can rely on me. I have a permanent all zones pass and it covers you as well. What confidence we've got. And have you noticed so far, I haven't said a thing about what you do or what I do. This isn't about how well you pray or how often you pray or how much faith you pray with. This is all about Jesus, the great high priest. That's why we've been praying with such confidence for Joseph and for Harriet and for Cain. Because actually, this isn't down to how well the three of them behave or grow up. This is down to Jesus, the one who knows them and lives for them, the one who comes able to bring his own life as a sacrifice for their sin. And then thirdly, we come with confidence, not just because he sympathizes with us, not just because he's paid for us and he he doesn't have any of his own debt to pay, but because he is right now, today, this moment, at just after 5 to 11 on the 18th of November 2018, right this moment, he himself is right there in the throne room of grace. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, we have a great high priest, that's the present tense, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. He's the one right there in the throne room of grace. He's the one right there that as we pray, he's there representing us, right there. If I can put it in very human terms to do with phones, which 
It always feels a bit impersonal for me, but maybe it's one of the ways we communicate. You ring up somebody and say, look, you've got a friend who's so-and-so. Could, could you just ask them a favor for me? And they say, I'm right here with them now. Ask them yourself. There's something of that in that image. It's picture language. He's right there in the throne room of grace. He's gone into the holy of holies. He's right there. Now, what the writer of Hebrews does in chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 is unpack that language of priesthood and of being a great high priest. And it's an astonishing read, the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of images. But right at the end of those verses, he unpacks it, he cashes it out and says the so what Would you turn with me to page 1,208, and with this, we'll finish. 1,208, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. I'm going to read this and not preach another sermon on it, don't panic. But I do want to leave you with these words of the therefore. If this is true, if this is the confidence we have in prayer... If we're coming confidently because of Jesus being able to identify with our weakness, being able to pay for our sin and usher us in, being even right now, right in the throne room of grace, therefore, the writer says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We've acted out that sprinkling with water in baptism today. We've been reminded of what it is to be washed clean of our sin. And this passage reminds us, therefore, to walk in with confidence. Having confessed our sin, having been washed clean, having been set on our feet, to know that Jesus takes us by the hand, scoops us up in his arms and says to us, come in, you're welcome. So this week, can I challenge you to pray with confidence? If you haven't prayed before, or if you haven't prayed since you were a child, or if you haven't prayed since a moment of crisis in your life, what have you got to lose? Pray with confidence. Pray knowing that Jesus is there in the throne room of grace. Pray knowing it's not about what you've done or how good you are or how religious you are. Pray. See what happens. Talk to the God who made you and loves you. And maybe you're somebody who's been praying all your life. Let this passage spur you on to pray more confidently. To know that you're not praying on the basis of who you are, or what you've done, or how much faith you have, your confidence is in Jesus. We pray confidently because of him. And when you pray, 
remember where you are. You're standing in front of royalty, but you're standing in front of the king who died for you, who loves you, and who welcomes you in.